From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 44. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, and she brings a wealth of information from the mobility world that'll benefit not just baseball athletes, but athletes from all walks of life. So we're really excited for a great show. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients to support your body's nutritional needs across five critical areas. Energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal support, and healthy aging. I'm an avid user of Athletic Greens myself in spite of the fact that I tend to be a supplement minimalist. To me, this is a product that is much more like whole food nutritional insurance as opposed to a true supplement. The ingredients have been carefully selected at the highest quality, most natural source. You get essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and that's the zero compromise approach from the company. It's plant-based, sourced from whole foods at the highest quality, so you won't find harmful chemicals, artificial colors or flavors, preservatives or added sugar. Um, really, it's perfect for folks who are gluten and dairy-free, paleo, keto, vegan-friendly, um, great for people who are intermittent fasting, all that fun stuff. Um, personally, I love it for, for obviously, our athletes who don't get enough nutritional uh, benefits from fruits and vegetables because they don't eat enough. So it's a way to kind of plug in holes in diets. But also, I really like it for our college and professional athletes who may have complex travel schedules where quality food options aren't always at hand. Um, on a personal level, I'm a husband, father of three, and an entrepreneur. Um, we split our time between two states, and, and I'm also still an avid lifter. Um, so life is inherently crazy, and it can be stressful, and sleep deprivation is definitely something that we encounter. So I rely on Athletic Greens um, for part of my immune support and believe firmly that it's, it's made a big difference in keeping me healthy in spite of how crazy our lifestyle is. Um, they've got a great offer in place. If you head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, They'll get you 20 free travel packets with your purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you can claim your special offer. Today's guest is known as the Mobility Maker. She has experienced training athletes and teams in MLB, the NHL, the NBA, NFL, MLS, PGA, WTA, and WWE, as well as tactical athletes from the military, special forces, first responders, and veterans. As an author, she's written dozens of published articles, as well as the book, Practical Solutions for Back Pain Relief. Additionally, she presents worldwide at popular strength and conditioning and sports and fitness events, including the highly regarded Perform Better Tour. As an expert on the integration of mobility, breathing biomechanics, and recovery in professional sports, she's been invited to speak at the Major League Baseball Strength Coaches Winter Meetings, as well as professional golf venues, including TPC and the World Golf Fitness Summit. She also conducts in-service presentations on a variety of health and wellness topics for private organizations, ranging from not-for-profits to the Fortune 500 corporations. She graduated from Tufts University, is a certified strength and conditioning coach through the NSCA, and has received extensive education through the Postural Restoration Institute. She also has certifications and trainings with the Titleist Performance Institute, Functional Movement Systems, the American College of Sports Medicine, and the National Academy of Sports Medicine. She's an experienced registered yoga teacher and educator through the Yoga Alliance. In addition to her ongoing role with CNN Health, she's a recurring on-air fitness expert for the nationally syndicated morning show Daytime, as well as Tampa Bay's News 9. Please welcome to the show, Dana Santis. 
Dana, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you. I am too. This is going to be awesome because um, we've known each other. Man, I remember you coming to the original CSP, so it's been like over 10 years, and I've I've obviously become an avid reader of your stuff and follower of all your videos on social media and everything, but it's... I think it's cool to have these conversations where you start to like delve deeper into philosophies and how careers evolved and stuff. So um, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and just to make the point, mm-hmm. I did move to Florida before you. So <laughs> you, you followed me did. here. Yes. And your blood yes. probably thinned out much more sooner than mine did because now it's like it went under 60 degrees today and it was like Armageddon down here. People were panicking and I was kind of agreeing with them with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm definitely I've adapted for sure because I was like, it's freezing. I don't want to stand out here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's let's dig into this right away. So I know things started for you with an exposure to yoga, but the work that you put out there is so much more deep than that. It goes in so many different directions and it unifies a lot of philosophy. So I'm curious, what, what initially drew you to yoga? Was there like a, was there an injury that, that sent you in that direction? Was it something you looked at for different reasons? How did you get into it? Uh, well, I had been a gymnast, um, early in my life and, and so, I found it appealing for that reason, but, mm-hmm. but the primary reason was I had a completely different career when I found yoga. I was North American director of marketing and PR for an international corporate real estate firm. Wow. And it was, it was really high stress. I mean, I traveled all the time. Um, I worked constantly, but I'm just naturally a type A personality mm-hmm. and, um, and well, not as much now, thankfully, but I was wound really fricking tight. Mm-hmm. So I never paused. I never paused for anything. My life was like a race. And it was, it was actually on a business trip. One of the many, I was always on planes. And, um, thankfully though, I stayed at like these super nice hotels so that, and you know, like every Ritz Carlton has a spa with yoga classes. Mm-hmm. And my first yoga class, I think it was a Ritz Carlton in Miami or something like that. Um, and it was really weird and like frou frou, but at the, but, but moving my body in ways that I hadn't, you know, since I, I was a kid actually felt good. But then at the very end, the thing that appealed to me the most was the thing that I pretty much had spent most of my adult life running from, which was silence. And so you had to just lay there and you couldn't work on anything, right? You couldn't do anything. You just had to lay there and focus on your breath. And I never had any idea how important breathing would become in my life. But in that moment, I was a different person. I, I and now I'm going to sound like a frou-frou like yoga person, right? But but in that moment I actually found some sense of clarity and I and then I wanted more because remember the type A personality is like, "Oh, this is good. I need like 3,000 times as much as of, of this in my life." <laughs> mm-hmm. So then I decided, you know, in my spare time which I had none of I would, cause I couldn't just do yoga because you know, the typical type A, you can't just do yoga. You have to be the best at yoga, mm-hmm. which was kind of the antithesis of the whole philosophy behind <laughs> it. Um, but I decided, oh, I was going to teach it. And when I real, when, when I realized that my life was kind of backwards was when here I had, you know, this super high six figure job that I was working, but I was making, um, $35 an hour, I think. And that's pretty high. Uh, it Boston sports club teaching yoga classes. I was, 
I was moving around business trips, like, you know, to Hawaii or wherever, because I didn't want to miss the classes I was supposed to be teaching at the <laughs> Boston Sports Club. And so there came a point when, um, when I had to really look at that and say, Hey, wait a minute. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? It wasn't that I wasn't good at marketing and PR. I, I, I mean, I was, I was good at, and I did enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it in the context of the work that I was like corporate real estate. Um, uh, like I've been to parties at Trump's house and mm -hmm. just the, the, the people that I was, the circles I was in, they weren't really my people. Mm -hmm. Um, the people, the circles I'm in now, holy crap, totally my people. Eric, <laughs> you're my person. Like I've got all my people. Um, so, so it helped me. It helped me find, find my people, find my calling, find everything, um, that, that really matters to me. And it came out of that. Now that yoga that I, I learned in that class that day is not, and even the, the yoga that I learned in the, the yoga um, I don't know, the yoga uh, teacher's course. Um, well, it was the certification through Yoga Alliance. Um, and back then, because at this point, I can't believe it's been like almost 20 years that I've been doing this. And back then, the Yoga Alliance, and I'm sure people who are familiar with yoga certification know there's like 200 hour and 500 hour. Um, you have to do it all now through one school. Yeah. But uh, two decades ago, they actually allowed you to piece it together. There are certain components like 20 hours of anatomy and, you know, 30 hours of something else. I can't remember it's, now. It's, but It's more than the fitness industry. So there, that is a feather in their cap. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, except yeah. I'll uh, let me qualify that. When I say 20 hours, it's I think it's 26 hours of anatomy. You can't see me, but I'm putting air quotes around that because yeah. it's very subjective. If they want to focus the entire time on chakras, Mm -hmm. 26 hours, they absolutely can. And so if you have someone who's been trained in 26 hours of chakra anatomy, who then is also doing, because in yoga, they adjust people. They, they've had no anatomy and biomechanics training, but they're pushing people into poses, mm -hmm. but they definitely know, you know, what color your solar plexus is. So <laughs> that's helpful. So I, they, yeah, there, yeah. there's a lot that didn't fit in as yeah. my career evolved and when I took this to sports, for sure. Interesting. So uh, I'm curious, obviously, you got going, you evolved. What, what led to the transition into working with higher level athletes? Like, how did that come about? Well, um, I'm going to be completely honest and give you the good and the bad. Uh, so I, I did love sports and I was fascinated with sports. And, and as I said, like being able to move my body, um, it, it, during a yoga class really made me start to appreciate that where I'd kind of lost that because in gymnastics, I loved it. You feel powerful there and capable and things that you can do with it. And that's what I loved about watching sports. And so, so then I started to think, wow, there's an application here. Um, and you'll love this because it's actually, I was on a business trip and I'm staying at the same hotel mm -hmm. as the New York Yankees. <laughs> uh, how ironic. And, um, and, and the irony there was I was actually taking clients to, uh, Camden Yards to a, a Red Sox game. The Red Sox, uh, <laughs> were playing Baltimore, but I, I had no connect. I wasn't connected in professional sports back then. And so I didn't have connections to get decent tickets at Fenway. So instead it was cheaper for me to fly clients to, <laughs> um, Camden Yards. Yeah. And that's a beautiful um, park. Anyway, so I was there for that, but when the Red Sox left, uh, 
then the Yankees came in and I still had some other work that I was doing in town. So, so I was staying at the same hotel and I, I, I like literally bumped right into Derek Jeter in the lobby. <laughs> and, um, later on though, they invited me, um, to a dinner. It was, it was Derek and Jorge Posada and, um, I mean, I want to say like Hideki Matsui was there. It was like those Yankees. Remember that like <laughs> era of Yankees? And, um, and I, I didn't have a whole lot to talk, uh, you know, about with them, but I, and I, and I, but I wanted to make this like a useful conversation to me as well. So I, so I, I started talking to Jorge about what do you do? I mean, you sit in that position because for those people who don't know who Jorge Posada is, he was a catcher for the Yankees. He was a really good catcher for the Yankees. And, and I was like, you sit in that position for, you know, like three hours. Um, what do you do to keep your hips healthy? And next thing you know, we're on the floor, um, like doing these hip opening, like I'm showing him what I learned in yoga um, cause I just had like this nerd level, um, fascination with how bodies worked and, and Jorge and Derek, uh, pretty much told me that they didn't back then there wasn't anything besides like team stretch. And if you've ever seen team stretch, even yeah. now, sometimes it's a joke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not, not as much for sure it's evolved, but I know when I first got into this, mm-hmm. like team stretches the guys just sitting out there like talking to each other barely paying attention to what's going on you know they're just there wasn't a whole lot going on and there wasn't anything like mobility wasn't even a term back then that got thrown around you remember yeah um so so that that kind of planted the seed for me then I, i remember on the flight back and it's a short flight back from baltimore to boston but i remember on the flight back like furiously writing all all of this stuff out all of these ideas about like how do i how do i bring sports not just baseball like now i'm thinking about goaltenders and um you know the nba and and just my my brain was like on fire um and i was really excited about it and then here's the i said i'd explain the good and the bad that's the good part the nerd level interest and and wanting to help them move better the bad part though was i was like oh pro athletes because remember i have this high six figure income if i'm going to leave that job i've yeah. got to make a ton of money mm-hmm. i'd already done a business plan i remember type a personality i'd yeah. done a business plan for opening a, a yoga studio and mm-hmm. I, you know, it was going to take me three years to start making money. And then it yep. was like $35,000 the first year. Yep. And so I had already scrapped that plan. I couldn't mm-hmm. leave my job for that. But I was like, oh, pro athletes totally misconstrued how this all worked. I had no idea. Right. Mm-hmm. I never working in professional sports. Yep. I, I didn't know the dichotomy between what um, athletes were paid and what was actually being spent on strength and conditioning. Um, which was next to nothing. There were like, they had no budgets to bring me in. Um, very little budgets at that point to bring me in. And, and also most pro athletes, um, you know, expect things for free. They expected back then again, things have changed so much over yeah. the past two decades, but yeah. they did, they expected things for free. So it's a, it's a, it's a service economy. You know, like you think about, I always tell people like no one ever goes into Walmart and bargains for a pack of gum. But when it yes. comes to paying for a service, everything is negotiable in this world, unfortunately. So you have to be careful not to devalue yourself earlier in a career. Otherwise, you're you're kind of up a creek without a paddle for the, the rest of the, the 30 years that follow. 
for sure. And I, you know, I did find my creek without a paddle, but thankfully <laughs> I made it. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I did end up in a spot there because, you know, it's so funny. I went through all the due diligence of a business plan for a yoga studio, but then when I got excited about this, decided, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense. No yeah. plan. I'm just going to do this. I'm going to cash in my 401k <laughs> and I am going to write a book about you because again, type A personality. I'm yeah. like, I need a platform. I still had this marketing background and I knew in order to have like instant credibility, I had to have some sort of platform. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in the beginning, there were some smoke and mirrors in, in terms of making myself credible. So I wrote this book that no one should ever read now, but back <laughs> then it was, you know, the essence of my expertise at the time. Um, and which as we've already discussed has evolved. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I'll tell you the name of it in case anyone wants to pay the extraordinary amount that some people are charging on like eBay for a signed copy of it. Just don't <laughs> do it. it. But it's called yoga is not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a different last name though, so maybe you won't be able to yeah. find it, but. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so I, I, I did this book, which then ended up being like, um, a really expensive brochure uh, in, in the end, because I used it to market my services to all four, um, uh, the major sport, the, the NFL, NHL, NBA, and MLB. And I, I wrote personal letters to six people on every single team in all four of those sports. I don't think I slept for like three weeks after <laughs> I did this it, because, or while I did this because I, I, um, so I found three players on every team that were valuable to the team, but had enough of an injury history or, or like some kind of issues that I could find. And this was back when the internet still made it sound like a fax machine. So this took time. Um, do, do you remember like dial up? Like, Oh my gosh, we, it's crazy. Yeah. We, yes, we still had like AOL, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. So it took a while to find all this information, but I wanted my introduction to each of these people to be as warm as possible. So I found out where they went to school. Like I was yeah. trying to connect the dots, how many degrees between me and Kevin Bacon kind of yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I sent these individualized letters with pages earmarked in my book um, of potential exercises for them. Like I had the right idea. And again, I was working with the, and here's the air quotes again, you can't see expertise that I had at at, at that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and in, in marketing, uh, because I've been doing that for my whole adult life was the return, a direct mail return of 4% is considered a success. Mm-hmm. I was at 37%. Uh, my wow. phone just started ringing. The first person mm-hmm. to call me was Terry Francona. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a joke because, you know, having been a Boston Red Sox yeah. um, fan for so long, we kind of knew his like distinct voice. Some of my friends knew what I was up to um, and everybody mm-hmm. thought I was a lunatic. And mm-hmm. so I thought someone was calling me and and like pretending to be Terry Francona. Yeah. So I can't repeat because I'm sure you have a nice, clean podcast. <laughs> I can't repeat what my first words to Terry Francona were. Um, but it's a miracle that I ended up working with him because mm-hmm. he was like, excuse me. Was, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was him. But anyway, so um, I ended up working with all of uh, the four teams in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and then also the Rays flew me down for spring training. Mm-hmm. And if people are like, you know, how did this happen? It was because... 
well, A, I had the guts to, you know, mm-hmm. knock on all these doors, right? Yeah. Um, B, I, these, and people remarked about, like, I didn't send them some super long letter, but yeah. all the content in my letter to each of them was individual. This wasn't yeah. a form letter. This was, you know, this is what I know about you. This is where I think I might be able to add value. I wasn't saying, hey, and I've seen some of these letters because coaches have given them yeah. to me. I wasn't saying, hey, if you do yoga with me, I'll add 10 miles per hour to your fastball. Yeah. Which is, you know, it was nothing like this. It wasn't crazy claims. Um, mm-hmm. And doors just started opening. And the yeah. more doors opened, the more I learned. And, and yeah. you know, you don't know what you don't know, but there mm-hmm. was a I was finding out that there was a whole lot that I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't understand the demands on these athletes out like yeah. beyond what you see on the field. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I found out very quickly, like within the first year of mm-hmm. doing this, that traditional yoga did not fit. It just yeah. did not fit because it's, it's a, it typically, um, an hour to 90 minute class mm-hmm. setting. Right. And, yeah. And the only like sport specific idea that anybody had been applying to yoga, and I was guilty of this too, um, and people mm-hmm. still do this now, but was, hey, this yoga pose looks like what that athlete's doing. So that means that they should do this, right? Yeah. Like, look at this warrior too. It looks like a pitching stride. Yeah. So pitchers should all do this. <laughs> and that's such BS, right? But, yeah. but I got away with that in the beginning because it was so novel. I mean, no one yeah. was really doing yoga with athletes. So I think that's, I might a, as well, that's like, a go huge, ahead. Not, not to cut you off, but like, there's a, that's, there's a, such an important lesson there. Like is, you know, first mover advantage is obviously important, but I think we also have to recognize that like successful people find value in unexpected places. You know what I mean? Like there were yoga studios all around Boston. No one had actually thought to take this and apply it to professional athletes. Like nowadays, if you write those letters, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they get 500 of them a day. I mean, I, I get them. Yeah. I mean, I, I got an email today from a workers comp attorney that wanted to talk to our pro crowd. And then also we had a guy that dropped off cards in the office for a card deal detailing place for our pro athletes. Like it's just like constant bombardment, but like you stood out because you had the foresight to put that out there, but you also did it. And this is probably the most important lesson with a ton of humility. You didn't come in saying, I know everything. You say, I'm a hard worker. I think I have a good idea. I'd like to offer something to you. And then you continuously learn and refine your approaches as opposed to like just coming in guns a blazing, like you, you own the place, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's much true. to know there. I think sometimes, not sometimes too often, what happens is when, Someone feels like they don't, they, they feel, um, I'm not coming up with the right word, but you'll get it like nervous about the fact that they don't know enough yeah. to really, to, to really, um, add enough value instead. They, they fake it. And I hate that fake it till you make it thing. I hate that. Right. Because that they come in with kind of a chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like they have something to prove. Because they're afraid that they really don't have anything to, yeah. like they don't have anything to offer. And, and I think that's a huge mistake because there is so much value into coming in just the way that you've said where it's like, you know what? I think, I think there's value here, but I'm not going to know how much value I can offer you until we collaborate on this, until you show yeah. me what you need, not me coming in, guessing what you need and saying that I can fix it or coming in and telling you that things are broken. And I'm here to fix them. I mean, that's the worst approach you can take. But so many people take that approach because they think that they're going to be embraced as the savior when 
it's and this was something I learned really early on is there is so but there, there are so many hands in a t- in an athlete's program. There's so many different aspects of it. Um, and then also there are all these strange dynamics, you know, like do the athletic trainers actually talk to the strength coaches? Do they collaborate? Some teams, they collaborate really well. Other teams, it's like, um, and now I'm really dating myself, but one of the strength coaches described that their team as saying it's like the Hatfields and McCoys, right? That yeah. <laughs> athletic trainers and the strength coaches, they don't talk at all. They don't get along. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't understand any of those dynamics, but you do, you have to, you have to know that there are going to be different dynamics in every team that you go into. Mm-hmm. And then you have to feel those dynamics out and where you fit and, make sure that you walk a fine line. You don't step on toes. And, and, um, you know, now being in sports for so long, we have all these different terms for it, but like having feel or court awareness or, you know, and I inadvertently had that now, you know, Mm -hmm. I work hard to make sure that I I maintain that, but that was, and, and, um, Kevin Barr, who was the strength, he's now at the Marlins, but he was the strength coach. Yes, KB at the race. He's the one, you know, who gave me my big break in yeah. spring training. But one of the things that he said early on um, to me and then when he introduced me to other strength coaches was he just kept saying she gets it. She has yeah. feel like so they weren't afraid to let me into the weight room. Yeah. And I actually want to I think that's a good detour to take in this. And I don't want to I don't want to spend, you know, a million uh, minutes on it just because I think we have a million things to cover. But like you obviously were one of the first women in professional baseball and like, that's a, a huge feather in your cap. What do you think were the, the person, I mean, was it the personality characteristics you had that made you successful? Was it that you were bringing something unique? Cause we both know, like, it's not easy to walk into that locker room as anybody. It's particularly hard to walk in as a, a female in really like the early two thousands when, you know, you're walking in as, you know, the only female in the room and you're doing it with something that they haven't necessarily seen before. What do you think made you successful? Like, I, I know what blew me away when I met you, but I'm curious as to like what your, your takeaways were. Uh, well, you know, as much as I, I told you that in corporate real estate, those weren't my people. Mm-hmm. I was one of the only women, um, that really? that could okay. it could really yeah one of the yeah. only women um especially like in an executive position and I tended to be one of the only women in the um in the room definitely on the golf course um uh, which was like, kind of like a novelty and so I ended up playing a lot more golf um you know when we were kind of doing deals because mm-hmm. because it was a novelty I didn't want to be treated that way but it was like you know you're a woman who can be out on the golf course yeah. um play a decent game, at least know when to pick your ball up, Yeah, <laughs> but play a decent game, yeah. but then also, you know, speak intelligently about leases and, and everything mm-hmm. that we were, we were um, selling. And, and so, and being around those guys, it's, it's like being in a locker room for, yeah. th- there's no question. And so mm-hmm. I had to, I had to really have a thick skin. Um, I had to be able to, dish it out as much as I took it, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so I ended up yeah. being more like one of the guys. I was yeah. always a tomboy, Yeah. but I, I have a thick skin. You can't, mm-hmm. you have to, I mean, I don't let anyone disrespect me. And that's yeah. part of also having a thick skin, being able, you know, standing up for yourself. I don't, yeah. I don't, you know, take it and then leave the room and go complain about it. If something mm-hmm. is inappropriate that happens, I, I speak up right then and there because it's yeah. like, I'm here, you know, to help you. You either, 
if you don't want to be here, like when I'm working with a group of players, if you don't want to be here working with me mm-hmm. and it's, and you're, you've been told it's mandatory, then you've got to suck it up, but yeah. y- there's no reason to be disrespectful. And if you can't, like manage, then you've got to go. And I don't want to be, give people the impression that that happens very often. I could say in the past almost 20 years, it's happened, you know, two or three times where I have yep. thrown people out of the room, but I'll, I'll do it. And yep. then, and when people are acting like idiots, I'll, you know, like idiots, like playful, not paying attention, yep. but I've got some people who are really serious that I'm trying to work with. I'll call yep. them out, but I do it in a way that kind of shames them, but in yep. a fun, you know, like, yep. You people don't realize you can earn respect by um, in in this kind of environment by not being afraid to yeah. call people out and and mm-hmm. and make fun and make fun of yourself too. Never take yourself too seriously. Yeah. So I think it's it was all of those kind of things um, that I just kind of fit in yeah. where they didn't. Ex- I don't look like I'm supposed to fit in, right? Mm-hmm. But I just I didn't. I never felt out of place. That's awesome. I, you know, and there's. It's funny. I, I think about this stuff way more than I used to. And I, to some degree, I'm ashamed of that because now I have three daughters who are under five and I want to make sure that they have those opportunities. An awesome, it's an audiobook recommendation, but Power Moves, um, by Adam Grant is actually an, it's an audible only that he did. And he talked a lot about like, what can we do to, to help women get into positions like this? And, you know, I, I love that KB did like the warm intro for you and, and help like kind of smooth things over. Cause I think that's important. You know, it's, it's always an easier first step to take if you've got someone who's, who's pulling in the same direction as you are and, and singing your praise on the front end. So um, I, I think that's important. And, you know, as we see more and more women, um, you know, getting into professional baseball, like I, I think, you know, me and, and everybody else on, who are males in that industry need to do a good job of kind of like helping to pave that path a little bit easier because there are some really bright females who can contribute a lot in this industry. So um, that's that's a very helpful story. So I'm, I'm curious. We're going to kind of take that detour and go in a different direction. Let's talk about the most common mistakes you see with respect to yoga in, in, you know, an athletic population or any population. Like I know you could probably go on for hours on this one because we've had some good conversations. So I'm going to, I'm going to just open the floodgates and let you have at it. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you had me write that blog for yeah. you. So we've, yeah. got, we've got that blog too, yeah. but I, I'm not, wait, I'm not letting you move on yet, Eric, yeah. because okay, you, go, go, go. You, you dropped something and yeah. then I need to come back to it. Cause yeah. you said, you said, well, you knew what, you said something about when oh, you yeah. met me, what blew you away. You yeah. can't say that and not tell me oh, what yeah. it was. Totally. The thing that, that impressed me the most, you were totally unfazed about your surroundings. Because I remember you, you came in, you kind of like a demo for some of our pro guys. And um, you were working with some of our guys who were, you know, they were tighter, tighter than a camel's butt in a sandstorm. And there was like ra- rage against the machine blaring. Like I think you were on the turf and guys were like sprinting by you. And, you know, there's 450 pound deadlifts being dropped and stuff like that. And you just like owned the environment. It was like you were just in the zone. There was nothing else going on there. I was like, man, she gets it. Like she's, she's not like a deer in headlights at all. And it was, it was super impressive to see someone because, you know, we always see like male and female, like new interns come into a new environment. They don't want to overcoach, you know, because they don't, they're afraid of becoming like captain correction. And then, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, they don't want to let terrible movement go and look like they're undercoaching. And it's, it's a, it's a balancing act to be in that position. And it was, it was so impressive to see how you, you capture people's attention. You related to them, but you did it in an environment that was not at all what we would consider mobility slash yoga friendly. You know what I mean? So that, right. that impressed me most. You, 
you, you, you got it, as, as KB would say. Uh, well, yeah, thank, I really appreciate that. And actually that does, that, that is a nice transition then yeah. into, um, some of the common mistakes I see yeah. is, so yoga is, is typically done in a yoga studio. And as soon as it like, as soon as you think about a yoga studio, it conjures an image of, you know, the, um, pristine wood floors and the quiet with the soft music and the gong thing, whatever, there's probably a name for that. And, you know, like bells and singing bowls and eye pillows. And when people come into professional sports and they try to recreate an environment like that, or they expect that they're going to have an environment like that, um, they're, they're going to be, uh, really um disappointed very yeah. disappointed i mean my my first session with terry francona at the um at the red sox we were in the training room and i hopefully they've updated some of the stuff in fenway <laughs> because it was the size of a closet and mm-hmm. we were on the floor at, um working on some people were they weren't walking around us eric they were stepping over us <laughs> there were people step and this was my like my first real like session with someone in professional sports um and yeah that was that was illuminating for sure mm-hmm. um and then there have been times that i've been you know out oh, with the pirates um early on in my career too where and and i learned a lot of lessons from this but we would be out in the batting cages that have tin uh, a tin roof um and i've got 120 no lie it would be fil they would throw everybody from fil out into the batting cages now i did bring an assistant with me but it was still 120 guys and at least you know 50 of them didn't speak english <laughs> and now it's it's pouring rain on a tin roof oh my goodness you know how yes <laughs> i would leave i would leave bradenton um and i i couldn't talk for like 3 days cuz i had to yell the whole time and i completely lose my voice um so so yeah you you c- coming in and expecting that you're going to rec- recreate a yoga environment in any way shape or form and pro sports is just you've got to let that go and that's i think that is a common mistake because then you know you're you expect that you'll have a special room i mean i'm in hallways i'm in the corners of weight rooms where the music is so loud your chest is rattling it's like you're at a concert um so yeah there's that but then but then it's also like taking having a set plan because that's another thing they teach you this in yoga teacher training. You draw out all of the poses you're going to do in your class. And I think it's wrong even with the general population, even probably even more so with the general population um, that they that they do this because you've got a group of of all different bodies with all different injury histories and you don't know what those are. And you're setting up a class. You don't know who's going to show up in your class and you're setting up a class with all of these poses that you're picking arbitrarily. And then, and for an hour, you know, you've got the set amount of time. There are no set amounts of time in, in professional sports, right? You come in and, um, and they say, yeah, we've given you this hour block and then you show up and, oh, well, we've got three meetings plus we're running late. So you've got 20 minutes. <laughs> so what would the person who had written out all of their poses that they're going to do for 60 minutes? Now, what are you going to do in 20 minutes so that you add value? So I, I don't ever plan. Um, like write out 
some plan of what I'm going to do. I have to, I have to see who shows up, not, not just who shows up, but what is the, what's the energy in that room? What did they do before they showed up? Like, were they just out running sprints because they got in trouble? Mm-hmm. You know, because that can yeah. happen. Right. And then they had to run a sprint, especially with the younger guys. I'm not talking yeah. about the major league. Well, sometimes. Um, <laughs> but but like, what is what is the attitude in the room? What it's it's really so much more about context. But then there are so many traditional yoga poses. I know that that Bikram is super popular still, uh, even with that documentary out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and 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 I think it's popular with athletes because. Um, it, it feels difficult to do, but just because something feels difficult to do does not mean that it's good for you. And, and when it's true Bikram yoga, it's hot yoga that it's, you know, 105 degrees. Um, you're, by the way, if you stand in, and I've taught Bikram before, um, only because I was doing a favor for someone, not because I like it. (laughs) And, um, but if you stand in that room and don't move, in 105 degrees, you're going to sweat bullets, you know, like it's, it's not, and you're going to feel like you're doing something. So, so you have to recognize that 105 degrees is going to have that effect on you, whether you're moving or not. But now there's 26 arbitrary poses that this little absolute jerk of a man, um, like an egomaniac came up with who I don't, he doesn't seem to have any training in biomechanics. I mean, he was raised doing yoga. Um, and, and there are, um, there are at least three of them that I just don't even think human beings should do. There's one that's like called rabbit and you put it's, it's extreme flexion of your cervical spine and then you're putting your body weight on it. Why? No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. So, so I, I mean, there are so many mistakes yeah. that, that are made, but I think it's, it's really trying to make traditional yoga fit sports that, or vice versa. It's actually when you're trying to make the sports environment fit traditional yoga, that doesn't work. So, and there isn't to say that there isn't value in yoga poses, but if you look at, um, if you look at any uh, mobility uh, type of work, any styles of uh, corrective exercises, mm-hmm. any kind of mobility, you can find a basis in yoga poses, right? Like you can say, oh, that looks very much like this. And there's a, there's, um, a very good chance that these movements did originate from a yoga pose. But then they became movements as opposed to poses. And, mm-hmm. and I think the also coming out of and into the position is just as important, if not more than the position itself. And in, in a lot of traditional yoga, um, it's, it's a static posture and it's about holding the posture. And then if it isn't the static type of posture, then it's a flowing, um, mm-hmm a series of poses, but then it becomes about the flow and less about, are you executing each exercise effectively? And, and I think that's, that was my big issue with yoga is if I try to take any of those traditional styles and make them work when when you're flowing through positions, you can be compensating and missing parts of the exercise if you're just holding a static pose holding a static pose does not necessarily translate to better movement so you needed 
I, I needed to take what worked out of yoga and then make it make it work better for sports. To, to that end, one of the things I've really liked about your work is you've been exposed to a lot of different philosophies and you, you pulled them together to create your own unique approach. Um, you know, so for the, the yoga instructors who are listening to this and, you know, and other coaches who want to be informed consumers in that regard, what competencies were game changers for you? What, what should people be exposed to to develop a well-rounded approach in the same way you have? Um, well, if they want to go through everything that I, <laughs> I, I have, um, I, I mean, I would say though that the first, the first thing that really changed my approach and it happened while I was, um, down here for spring training with the race. So it was super early on in my, um, career was, uh, learning about who Gray Cook was because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I knew the yoga world. I didn't know the world, you know, that we reside in now. Um, and so FMS and it was, it was his first book, I think. Oh, what is it? Athletic Body in Motion. Does that, that sound right? In Balance, I think it was. In Balance. Yeah, either way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Athletic Body in Balance. Yeah. Um, I remember it, seeing it, that in grad school. I think that was like oh three ish. I saw it for the first time. So, yeah. Yeah. So that would have been probably maybe oh four oh five for me, and um, and it was Tim Maxey who is now head of strength and conditioning for all of MLB, yeah. uh, Major League Baseball. Right? Mm-hmm. He was with the Indians, um, and the Indians still had uh, spring training in Florida back then. Yeah. And so when I went to go see him, he said, "Have you heard of Gray Cook?" And I was like, oh, "I have no idea who that is." Yeah, um, at <laughs> at that time, and he. I think he showed me this book and as I'm flipping through it, just like what I was saying before, these look like yoga poses, like his corrective exercises look like yoga poses. But then when I read the text that went with them, I, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what makes sense. This is the application and execution that makes so much more sense than a pose for the sake of a pose, uh, you know, a flow for the sake of a flow, that kind of thing that, that is part of yoga. And, and so, um, and back then we didn't have Amazon prime. <laughs> Thankfully I was down here for three weeks. So it took a while for, I still ordered, Amazon existed. I ordered it on Amazon, had it sent to my hotel and I read it before I left. And I would say that was the first, because there have been so many game changers over the course of the evolution of my career, but that was definitely the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that really changed things for me. And then I, cause I hadn't even thought about assessment, Eric, yeah. like I, it just wasn't, it wasn't even on my radar because that wasn't something that they taught you in yoga. And so, um, so I created my own assessment. I, I think next after that, I did like NASM optimum performance training because I was yeah. working, I had worked with the Celtics and I, um, back then it was the Charlotte Bobcats, right? It was the, it was the Hornets and I think it went to the Bobcats now it's and, the, and, and now it's the yes. New Orleans, right? Hornets. I can't remember. Oh, geez. I'm yeah. terrible. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, but it was, uh, Emeka Okafor, yeah. right? From, uh, he was on that team. He was a, a Husky too. Yukon, Yukon Husky, just like yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. you go. So, um, and talking to his strength coach at the time, um, he said that in the NBA, NASM was, was, um, yeah. what most of the strength coaches were back then. So, so I was like, all right, I have to look into that. So I got, I got NASM certified as a personal trainer. And, um, but then I did NASM optimum performance training, which also taught me about assessment. I hadn't done FMS yet then. Um, but I had read 
I'd read the book. So I created my own kind of assessment, which now it's silly if I look back at that, because it would take me over an hour to assess people. And now I, I do my best assessing in the first five minutes, just talking to them before yeah. they, they know that I'm assessing them because yeah. then I can see how they hold their body and yeah. how they're breathing and how they're moving naturally. And then I can decide what movements I really need to look at. It's gotta be sub- um, subjective before it's objective. I feel like that's yeah. a really overlooked thing. You've got to build rapport and get to know them before you can start worrying about 41 degrees of hip internal rotation, you know? For sure. Yeah. And then the, oh, and then TPI, um, yeah. I really found them to have a fantastic assessment. Like I love the TPI assessment. And so I'm super excited because I, um, I told you this, that I'm doing the on base you, yeah, um, stuff in a couple of weeks, I'm doing the pitching and hitting. So I'm yeah. really excited to see what, um, Greg Rose has done with that. He's yeah. brilliant. They're so, outstanding. Uh, actually, Greg's yeah. going to be a guest here really soon too. So you're in good company. Oh, good. Yeah. I, yes. I'm definitely in good company. Your <laughs> roster of people who have done this are amazing. I'm, I'm, then, de- I'm, um, I'm out kicking my coverage pretty good with this podcast so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think, Eric, you can hold your own. Uh, everybody wants you on their podcast, too. Well, I appreciate for sure. it. Where, where do you think the unique – I mean, obviously – you know, those speak to general philosophies, right? Like FMS has been used in, you know, NFL, it's been used in NHL and obviously in, in baseball components, TPI originated in the golf worlds. What are the challenges that you face working with baseball in the context of mobility? And like, I know things that I think through, but I'm, I'm not teaching mobility classes, right? I'm, I'm bouncing around the floor as a strength addition coach and, you know, doing some, some field development people in conjunction with hitting and pitching guys. Where do you, kind of see the biggest challenges in your work day to day with them? What do you have to avoid? What do you have to be cautious about how you coach? Um, well, I, I mean, there, there are a whole host of challenges. One of the first ones is just finding, um, a women's bathroom in any of the places. <laughs> um, usually it's like a different building in a mile yeah. away, but, uh, but, and so that's unique to me. Yeah. But thankfully, like you said, many more <laughs> women are coming in, so it's getting better. There are even locker rooms sometimes. But um, but one of the biggest challenges is when it's a group. Now, and I don't want it. We've talked a lot about groups, and I don't want to give the perception that, that I go into teams and I constantly work with groups because yeah. that's not how it is. Um, yeah. In the beginning, though, again, we were – this was all new, and so we were kind of getting our bearings. And like my example of a million years ago with 120 guys at the Pittsburgh Pirates – um, I don't do that anymore, <laughs> but it, not even if they ask me, yeah. uh, but because now I know it's just, it doesn't, um, there isn't enough value risk versus reward. Right. So especially when you have uh, a strength coach or if a bunch of the guys are saying, Oh, you know, we've been dealing with back pain. Let's, let's do stuff to stretch out our backs. That I, that I avoid like the plague. Yeah. If a group of guys who wants to do back stretches, yeah. so um, you know, I've learned over the years, as you know, that that there are myriad reasons that your back is bothering you. And if, especially if I have a group, I'm not going to be able to watch how everyone is moving. And, um, and the chance that I'm going to do more harm than good for some of the people in that room, regardless of the expertise I may have, that there's a really good chance that we're going to end up doing more harm than good because I just can't manage people. If, if you have pain 
And, and, and even if there are multiple people in a group who have pain in the same area, it may not have the same cause. And I, that's just irresponsible for me to be like, all right, yeah, let's just do, you know, a, a back pain relief session. Um, I, they yeah. might, if, if I'm really careful, they might leave feeling good, but did I fix anything? No, I yeah. just gave them temporary relief. So, so that's, that's one of the things that, um, that's a challenge, right? Because yeah. everybody that back pain is so common. Yeah. Um, so in cases like that, it's like, all right, well, how could we break this up? Could we, if I, let's say I have an hour and I, and, and there are 12 guys that were going to be in this and, um, you know, six of them are saying they really wanted to do something with back pain. Well, all right. How about if we break up this hour and, you know, I'm going to do some basic mobility with these guys uh, because they're they're about to go do an upper body lift. So mm-hmm. I'm going to prep them for that. Mm-hmm. You guys just, you know, chill out, come back in half an hour, whatever it is. Then I'll take the few people and we'll go over probably in that half an hour. We'll maybe go over three things because out of these three things, maybe one will resonate with each of them and I can manage it. But it ends up, it's not, it doesn't end up being like, oh yeah, we're going to do yoga for back pain with this group of guys. Yep. So it's, it's just kind of, that's that. And that's, yeah. that's been a huge evolution in, in how I handle things that's so far away from yoga now. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. No, I yeah. think it's, I think it's great ideas. And what specific to like shoulders and elbows, what are some, I mean, like, I know for me, like you'll see a lot of hypermobile guys. So, you yes. know, if you're not careful, you can look around a room and see a bunch of, you know, athletes who are in elbow hyperextension, just destroying the backs of their elbows in like a weight supported position or anything like that. What are some other things that you look for from a, just like a coaching competency standpoint, as you look around, even if, whether it's a, a group of two or a group of 15? Um, well, I mean, just going back to what you were yeah. saying though about shoulders, shoulders yeah. and elbows, because I'll get, I'll, I'll get a lot of guys who are looking for shoulder stretches, mm-hmm. yeah. and I don't, I, and oh, I get yoga instructors constantly asking yeah. me about what are your best stretches for um, pitch, shoulder stretches for pitchers, and mm-hmm. my answer unequivocally is always none, none. Yeah. I don't, I don't ever stretch shoulders because I mean that's that's. Well, A, I, I want to stay in my lane and, um, and, and for the most part, um, any kind of tension that you're finding in a shoulder, there, there's a reason for it. It's not just because of overuse or, you know, there's, there, there is a, there, there's a, a dysfunction or a compensation that's happening that we need to figure out that, that then will release that tension and give the mobility back to the shoulder because it's, it's such a mobile joint. So, I have no business stretching anybody's shoulders. And then also, you know, we haven't really talked about, um, the PRI stuff, but, um, but the, the, the value in restoring someone's breathing mechanics and getting their rib cage, rib cage in a better position. I mean, you know, that that has a huge impact on, um, on shoulder mobility. So that if I work on that, then yeah. I can restore so much more shoulder mobility in a safe and functional way than if I just start, you know, willy nilly doing these stretches that might feel good, but then I might be creating laxity that's going to create instability. Yeah. And so, 
So, yeah. Um, You're always but, better off being too tight than you are too loose. I mean, I think that's a, a very gross generalization because we both know that tight and loose can mean a lot of different things. But I'd always have a little bit – I'd always prefer to have a little bit of stability to fall back on as opposed to having to, like, make up range of motion where there's too much passive range and you have to pick it up actively because that's a, that's a neural adaptation that takes time, whereas tissue extensibility, you can get those really translating. Would you agree with that or would you, would you see it through a different lens? Oh, no, I would absolutely agree with that. And when I've had conversations like that with, um, with yoga mm-hmm. people, uh, <laughs> they don't love that at, at yeah. all. You know, why would I say that I would prefer someone to be more tight than loose? Uh, yeah. but I've said that it's, and especially I, I feel that way in particular, if we're looking at, and I don't do a whole lot of stuff anymore that's like sport specific, but, mm-hmm. but in this example, like NBA players. Um, I, I just find that they don't need this massive range of motion. Um, but it's just not, it, it's not something that I'm working on. Like I'm not doing Russian splits with yeah. NBA players for any reason. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Like group classes, you know, they can be great for camaraderie and adherence. And I, like everybody, like when I came out of grad school, I worked at a commercial gym and I always remember like this at 6am there was like a hot yoga class and you'd have people that'd be like, oh my gosh, it's so relaxing. You'd have people come out like, that was a great strength, uh, strength workout. You had other people that called it like power yoga. And I always was like, you know what? There's this like, you have people going in here and they're all walking out with different like goals. Like I'm always, I, I remember thinking like, why would you get up and go to yoga to relax? Like what's more relaxing than sleeping? But, um, that's my, my soapbox moment. But one of the things I think the, the point is that, you know, group classes can be great for camaraderie, for adherence, but, sometimes create problems when you have 30, you know, general population people or athletes all doing the same exercises. So I'm curious when you are stuck with one of those larger groups, you know, it's obviously not ideal, but do you have certain guardrails when working with a number of athletes at once, like exercises you avoid because they're too complex to teach in a group environment? Like if there's a yoga instructor listening to this, like what are the stay away from this, 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 and this that you would say are, are important rules to live by? Oh, well, I mean, uh, so if it's for a yoga instructor, it's yep. basically stay away from most traditional yoga poses <laughs> because I, I would say that almost, almost every single thing that I do, um, although it, it's, it's based on may look somewhat like a yoga pose, it's not, it, I don't, there is nothing, there is not a single exercise that I teach it anymore that is taught the same way as it would be taught in a yoga class. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's give the example of pigeon Mm -hmm. um, because everybody's pretty familiar with pigeon. And, and if you were to Google, um, especially if you Google like an athlete doing pigeon, or I don't know the exact search terms, but I'm sure I've done it before. I think it's like, um, yeah, just do athlete, in pigeon pose uh because you want to make sure it's a guy for sure though yeah. because um they're going to be they're they tend to be tighter mm-hmm. and what they're going to be doing is cranking into their their um lumbar spine mm-hmm. because it, it in pigeon it, if you're upright um mm-hmm. if for those people who aren't familiar with pigeon pose if you had your um right shin in front and they would always teach you want your right shin parallel with the top of your mat. And yep. then, um, your left leg would be in, um, behind you, like you were doing a split behind yeah. you. And, and because most people 
um, don't have enough hip mobility mm-hmm. to be able to be in that position comfortably, what you're going to end up doing is pushing your weight forward. And where is that weight going to end up? If it's your right leg in front, it's going to end up in your right knee. Yep. But now to be upright, to look like, you know, the yoga pigeon on the mm-hmm. cover of yoga journal, you're going to, you're going to come upright. But how are you going to do that? Because your weight is pushed forward. So you're going to hinge at your low back. So you're going to be in this excessive um, lordosis in your lumbar spine. So now we've got the two areas that we tend to compensate when we don't have hip mobility that we're just crushing in that position. But it looks good. Yeah. Right. Um, I always joke. It looks very, if you actually go and look at the picture. So the first thing that came up on Pinterest is a, is a dude doing a, obviously a a pigeon pose. If you actually compare that to like a, a McMurray's test for medial meniscus pathology, they actually look shockingly similar. So, um, you're, you're effectively putting people into a provocative test for, for knee pathology in many cases. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's hilarious. Yeah. But I mean, I'm sure that's like the tip of the iceberg and you could go in, in a million different directions of that. But, you know, you might get someone who has antiverted hips who could never come even close to that. So, um, you know, w- would you say that just avoiding any aggressive end ranges is a good rule of thumb for, for most coaches in this regard? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and just sticking with the basics because there's so much that they can get out of learning the basics. Um, I mean, it's, it's surprising to me, especially when it's like a major league guy, clearly not one who's worked with you, but like a major <laughs> league guy who, yeah. who doesn't understand how to affect, uh, effectively reach and release his hip flexor. He mm-hmm. thinks that the only way to get in there is if you're digging in there. And, and I'm not saying that soft tissue doesn't work because it's helpful, but it's part of it's part of the overall strategy. All of these components, like what I offer is not the be all end all. It yeah. needs to be integrated um, and in order to be effective. And and so when someone's like, yeah, I have super tight hip flexors, um, but, you know, they don't understand the relationship between their glutes and their hip flexors um, or even that their pelvis needs to move in order to be able to access to, to release their hip flexors and just so going over like keeping it simple, but educating them at the same time. Education yeah. can go a, a, a long way mm-hmm. um, as long as, again, you keep it in simplest terms. I remember the first time I met you, Eric, and yeah. um, and you spoke to me. I mean, you've spoken to me in similar um, terms. <laughs> <laughs> during this podcast that you did when I first met you. And I was, I'm so proud of myself because I understood everything you were saying now, but back then I had no idea, like it was completely over my head. And so just making sure that when, now that I know so much more than I, I knew back then that I still speak in simplest terms when I'm talking to athletes. And yes. I know for you that you talk differently to a peer than you would, um, you know, obviously an athlete, but, but, don't be afraid though to educate them. There's a difference between, um, educating in simplest terms and, you know, talking over their heads so that they just, you know, glaze over and, or not giving them the information that would actually empower them to understand how the exercise is working. 
Um, so I think it's important to do that. You know, I'm also curious, like a, a lot of times we'll have an athlete that comes to town and, you know, they have a great response to manual therapy with us and then they, they live in Nebraska. So, you know, they're asking, Hey, how do I find a good manual therapist close to home? So, you know, I'll like cross reference like the provider locator from activerelease.com with the one on grassingtechnique.com and then I'll, you know, find four or five candidates and I'll go and I'll stock their bios for what I want to see and all that stuff. So I'm curious, are there things that, let's say somebody in Oklahoma is listening to this, this podcast and they want to find like a, a mobility expert that they can consult with to, to kind of complement the training they're doing. Are there certain things that you think are important for them to look out for and almost like vetting those individuals? Like what are red flags for you? What are things that you really look at and are like, all right, this is someone who's invested in themselves and could be a real rock star. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I get this oftentimes, yeah. you know, when players are um, during the off season, they go home and they're asking me, you know, how can I do what we've been doing um, with someone else? It, it, in a lot of cases, we have videos and they know the exercise. And because my stuff is integrated, we're, we're able to do that. But if they want to go take like a mobility class or a yoga class, um, th- then we start looking at places around them. And then I'm looking at bios to see do they have like FMS if they have FMS if they've even you know made an attempt to to branch out into an area like that that's a good sign um red flags are if it's all just yoga it's just it's just and and then maybe they happen to work with one athlete that walked in and so they've got they've listed that they worked with an athlete but if you look at their actual education it's just it's it's all yoga um there's nothing based in, in anatomy or biomechanics. But I, I mean, FMS is, is so accessible that, that it's nice when I see that. But I also do like when I see that, um, a lot of times you'll find a yoga instructor who's also, um, even if they're also a personal trainer, it's still better. Obviously there are different degrees of personal trainer, you know, like ACE versus NASA versus NSCA. I mean, they're, there are different levels there, but, um, but what, what else was I going to say? Personal trainer. Oh, massage therapist. There are oftentimes they'll be dual, like a yoga instructor and a massage therapist. Yeah. At least then I know that they know muscles. Yeah. Um, so that's, a that's point. a good sign. Yeah. Um, Ma- manual therapy skills. So if you have palpation skills, everything else seems to be easier. You know, like I, I think that's a, a big thing I've noticed over the years. When you see strength coaches who have gone to massage therapy school, I know the, the Diamondbacks have sent a lot of their coaches to do that over the years and have like a, a great coaching tree that's trickled down underneath Ken Crenshaw and, um, and Nate Shaw and all them. So I think there's something to be said about that. I think that's a, a really good point you just made. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, and I love, you just said, uh, like, I love Nate Shaw. I love what yep. he does there. And yep. uh, yeah, great really people. great. Um, so I'm okay. So we've gone in a million different directions, but I want to hear about your latest projects because I know you got some, some cool stuff that came out over the past year and stuff that's more recently talking to me about educational programs, equipment design, anything else you got going on. All right. Well, um, yeah, one of those things, and you were the one who introduced me to this, uh, was PRI. Remember? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was at least 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're dating ourselves really bad right now. Yeah, we are, <laughs> for sure. 
Um, and, you know, and I went really deep down the PRI rabbit hole and I, I, I found a lot of value in the information, but I just couldn't find a lot of practical application in the context. You know, we've talked a lot about where I'm working and, you know, I'm yeah. in the corner of a weight room and it's hard to have a conversation and people are stepping over us. That kind of thing. I don't always have access to a, a table. Forget it. I don't always have access like to a wall to even do like 90, 90 at the wall. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and so I've spent a lot of time trying to bring it down to lowest common denominator. I mean, it's breathing. I saw the value. I saw the potential of what it could do for yeah. players. Um, but I needed, I needed to make it as efficient and effective in the context of my work that I could. And so I ended up. I, I ended up creating some of my own exercises to be able to apply it without needing a table, without needing um, a whole lot of explanation, even because I've got to I've got to work with Latin players where, you know, all I know is a Reba and a Bajo. I can get them up and uh, down and count to 10, you know. Yep. So so I had to I had to come up with some ways to um, to apply it easily. And now it's been been almost five years of using my own approach kind of my own take on pri and and as you know on the perform better this is my fifth fifth year on the perform better summit tour where i i've been doing the same talk because it's so popular Mm -hmm. um and so many people have also taken pri and felt the same way that i did where you know what if i was a clinician i could rock this but i'm not i'm a personal trainer or i'm Mm -hmm. a coach and you know i have other responsibilities but i want to be able to leverage the power of breathing biomechanics and so i put together uh, what i call breathe better 101 it's an online course and it just expands on um on the uh, on the presentations that i've been doing um, both the lecture and the hands-on and it includes all of the primary exercises that i do with all the coaching cues also how to program them and um, that's been out now for about six months and the feedback on it has been phenomenal like it just blows me away um, it's so humbling uh, and I get several emails a week about because I, I I tell them please tell me you know how this works with your clients your experience with it and it's just it's amazing um, because again when you can break down complex things into simplest terms and make them understandable I mean this is breathing we're all doing it um, we could all be doing it better, but it's not, as my husband loves to say, it's not rocket surgery. Um, yeah. I, I got him a t-shirt that says that instead of <laughs> the, them performing surgery on a rocket. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, so, uh, breathe better 101. It's not rocket nice. surgery. Um, <laughs> So that I'm super proud of and I recommend, uh, you know, as many people, if you're interested in breathing, if you've, if you've taken PRI, you, you know, you really loved the concepts, but you want a practical application of what mm-hmm. you learned. I think I've done a decent job with that. So that awesome. one, um, where, and where, where I, can folks find that just so they, what's the best place oh, to check yeah, it out? On the, that's on the programs page of my website, mobilitymaker.com, uh, if you go to the programs page. But then cool. also um, it's in the link tree on my Instagram. Um, cool. There's a link to it right there too. Yep. Awesome. And then I, and I have other programs that are going to be coming out this year. Uh, nice. And in addition to that, and you know about this because yeah. um, you helped me out with it, the YIT method for athletes coaching certification will finally mm-hmm. come out this year. Awesome. That's been a long time coming and YIT just stands for yoga inspired training. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, and so, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. I just need to get that across the finish line for everyone. And I've talked about it. And so I get a lot of emails from people saying, when's that coming out? And so that is definitely coming out in the next several months, but I also want to make sure we have all the accreditation so that you can get, um, you know, NSCA credits, NASA and ACE, all those things. So we're working on that as well. I'm, I have my book, Practical Solutions for Back Pain Relief, that came out a couple of years ago. But a then great I, read. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. And it's a quick, it's a, it's a quick read. And it's one of those books like you kind of go through. And as you read it, it's like you're hopping down on the floor and trying things out. So um, excellent. And, and very good. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it's a good entry level exposure to the worlds of Dana Santis, like where they can like test the waters and it's, you know, super affordably priced, but, you know, realize that you have a lot to offer and then, you know, they can take the next step and look into bigger things later. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And that was written for the general population. So you just have to keep that in mind. That's why, yeah, definitely entry level and, and very practical. That's why I wanted to make sure it said practical in the um, title for that book. I didn't, I didn't plan on writing a book on back pain. The publisher actually came to me because of an article I had done for CNN and said, Hey, can we turn this article into a book? And mm-hmm. so I was like, all right. So, um, but yes, the end result was good. Um, yeah. I have another book I'm working on right now uh, with human kinetics. Uh, yeah. They asked me to write a book on breathing. So basically what I'm doing is taking that breathe better one oh one information and turning it into a book form. And, um, I'm a little behind on it, but that should be done that, that will, that will be done, um, this year and it should publish by the end of the year. So you should look for that. And, and then also, um, I just had a piece of equipment come out. It's called the mobility maker bench. So it's kind of named after me since my nickname is mobility maker. And, and this piece of equipment I'm really excited about because I wanted I wanted a piece of mobility equipment that really took that stigma out of mobility um, that looked like other gym equipment, like fits into the weight room. Just like, you know, I had to fit into the weight room with what I was doing. I wanted this piece of equipment to be like a little version of me. Well, actually, it's a meteor version of me. And, and so the, it was versatile. Uh, yeah. you could use it for so many different things. I mean, yeah. there are dozens and dozens of exercises, Eric, that you can do on this. I'm super the, proud of the it. Pro, got, the promo reel um, was really cool. A saddle and a spoiler. I mean, this is what we called it and when yeah. we were putting it all together, but, um, it has a, an adjustable saddle. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's, I made it so that it can accommodate people from seven feet tall, um, and like guys that I worked with in the NBA, but also the WWE, um, to people my size. And, you know, I'm five, two on my tippy toes. So it's, it's really versatile. Um, and it's not just about mobility either. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do, I designed it for mobility exercises, but I, I have a garage gym that I really love to spend my time. And as much as I'm in all these awesome, you know, sports complexes, mm-hmm. I don't work out with the athletes. So I had to have a place and, you know, where I could work out. Yeah. And, um, and I love this for a garage gym because it has vertical storage that like you can stand it up. It, it doesn't have a huge footprint, yeah. but you can also do hip thrusting with it. You can do anything you would do with a Roman chair. Not that I previously had a Roman chair, but it's kind of like a Swiss army knife, um, a split squat stand, anything you do with a split squat stand, yeah. you can do with this because of its adjustability. So Versatile. I, I'm pretty I like excited. It. That's been a couple of years in the making. Uh, and, it it and looks awesome. Result, um, 
came out sweet. And there's so. a great there's a great trailer for it too that kind of demos a ton of the stuff. So it's uh that's a good folks can find that at, at uh Sorenex as well. So um definitely uh, an exciting time. And folks can find out more about you. It's either mobilitybaker.com and then your mobility maker on both Twitter and Instagram. Instagram content is outstanding. There's always good stuff every day. You're very prolific there. So I always keep an eye on it and learn a lot too. So um but this was awesome, Dana. Thanks so much for coming on and spending some time with us. Oh, I appreciate it. We'll have to do it again and uh, and update this because I know you're someone that always is like getting exposed to more educational opportunities and evolving just like we all should. So let's let's put it in the calendar for 2022 and we'll we'll crush it again. For sure. All right, awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.